Isso ele foi. I want to tell you a story this morning, and it's a true story, but you have to remember that the truth of the story often depends on the perspective of the storyteller. I want to tell you the story this morning of our church. And from my perspective, it's a story of children. It's not a children's story by any means, but it is a story of children. You see, in 1910, there were people at a Methodist church downtown called Travis Park who were concerned about the children who lived at the end of the trolley line that left downtown in a place called Alamo Heights. They felt that it was too far for children in Alamo Heights to make it downtown to Sunday school, and they worried about the education, the Christian education of these children. So they sent the Sunday school out to the children in Alamo Heights, and they started as a Sunday school and evolved into a church. And as the church began to grow and more children began to come, the church needed a new building. It wasn't a large building, but it was a building. And in the early 1920s, the pastor built the, old, the building with his own hands. Don't even think about it. <laughs> the church continued to expand, but in the difficult time of the 1930s, people had to come down and co-sign a note, put their own lives and financial futures on the line to keep the doors of this church open for children. Well, the church did survive, and it went forward from the 30s to the 40s into a building expansion in the 40s and again in the 50s and 60s. But by the 1980s, it became apparent that there was not enough room in the facility for all the children of our church family. And as we tried to expand and failed to do so, God opened a new door here in Lincoln Heights. And soon the church relocated in 1994 after a lot of blood and sweat and about $13 million. And the doors were open. And children came, our children came, some of our grandchildren came. But after a while we realized as a church that there were other children outside the children of our church family. And we began to turn our gaze in their direction. And I remember as early as a, ten years ago, we started busing children from another side of town and the Wesley Community Center over to Vacation Bible School at our church. And we began a few years later to make forays into Guyana, South America. And we show up in Guyana, the volunteers, to do a Bible school for the kids there in this very impoverished community. And when they didn't know we were coming, we just showed up. There would be maybe 7, 10, 20 kids the first day. And by the end of the week, several hundred children had flooded that little building for Bible school. We began to realize in 1999 that the fact of the matter was a lot of our children and other people's children, when they grow up, they find that the way that the mainline church does business did not appeal to them. Presbyterians actually did a survey and found that 80 to 85% of their own children grew up and left the denomination. Typically, they didn't go anywhere. Methodists, we reasoned, probably weren't much different. And so in 1999, the New Heights Worship Service in the Christian Life Center was born to try to retain and draw back some of those children as they grew. We began to realize about our own children here on this campus that, that the kind of entertainment that they were exposed to in the world was of such a quality that the church would really have to raise the ante to capture their attention for the gospel and for the scripture. And so if you've been upstairs in our children's department, a few years ago the quarry was born to raise Christian education to a high level of interest for those children. 
We realized also that a lot of children who formerly lived in this city were moving out into the suburbs. And we knew that. And we sacrificed a good number of our leaders of our church, one of our pastors, and over the past few years, about half a million dollars, to establish a north campus called Riverside Church. And if this is a normal Sunday at Riverside Community Church, there will be about anywhere from 300 to 500 people who will be worshiping there this morning on that part of our church. And because the laws have changed and you can no longer use classrooms, churches can't use them during the week if a child is going to be there Monday through Friday in that room. We have to use gyms and cafeterias. And so children pile into a gym and they're divided by age into different sections. But they keep coming to the Smithson Valley Junior High School to hear God's Word and be educated in the ways of God. But our church also began to realize that God has other children, maybe even closer in our community, who aren't yet a part of our church family. Some years ago, we were part of a ministry with another uh, church uh, in a firehouse that had been abandoned and remodeled on Everest and Sunset. And we began to mentor children after school. When that program was forced to end, we moved, and now we're at Bentwood Apartments on Austin Highway. And the people there at the apartment so recognize the value of what our church is doing uh, in mentoring children and youth that they have given us one of the apartments to use for this mentoring. As more of God's children are getting educated in the ways of God. And it hasn't stopped there. It's gone even across town. I was pleased to find out that a number of you last Sunday went over to the Christian Life Center and signed up to go be a mentor at Day Zavala Elementary School. As we realize that God has children all over this community. But we realize that God has children outside this community. And when doors were closed to Guyana because the new pastor changed and the government didn't seem to want us there, other doors have opened for us to reach children. We are, at this moment as we speak, wrapping up a weekend at the House of Mercy Orphanage for children in Piedras Negras, Mexico. group will finish about noon and they will come back. There are uh, ministries that have gone even outside uh, the borders of this country and have even gone across the world. God has opened for us a number of doors in Africa. And we are supporting orphanages now in Africa, in West Africa, and in East Africa, educating and caring for God's children. Myself, I've taken an interest in the orphanages in Liberia. Liberia, as you may know, is a country that endured 16 years of civil war. And children, most of whom have been orphaned, not by AIDS, but by revolution. For the government might come and kill one of their parents, and the rebels might come through and kill the other parent, assuming they must have cooperated with the government. And so hundreds and thousands of orphans are, are in uh, what we would consider sub-substandard facilities. But they're there willingly and gratefully to be fed and to hear God's word. And our church has played a hand in that. And to be honest, the only thing that I've seen in recent months that uh, looks anything like Monrovia, Liberia, after 16 years of Civil War, friends, is New Orleans, Louisiana. And I was there about a week ago. And I want to tell you there are parts of it that are more devastated than the 16 years of Civil War left Monrovia. But there are children who are beginning to move back in to the community. 
And we've begun talking with the existing churches that still have a facility, those that still are able to hold uh, services. One building I was in was under eight feet of water in the sanctuary. So they've completely shut off the choir loft. They just put a wall there. They no longer have any pews because they all floated somewhere else. And we sat in rows of chairs, about several rows, eight chairs to a row. That's all that's left right now. But people will come back. And when we find out where they're coming back and what the needs of the children are who have come back there, we will be there partnering with them because that's always been who we are. We've been a church for all of God's children, knowing how important it was to give them what God wants them to have. And what is it that children need? Well, children need love, obviously. And children need encouragement, of course. And children need food and clean water and shelter. But God was very clear through Moses that the one thing they need is to be instructed in the ways of God. And that's been the call of our church since 1910. And it's still the call today. I've thought about this a little bit about what it looked like in history. Moses was raised in the Pharaoh's household. But Moses' Hebrew mother was hired actually to nurse him and care for him. And she raised and instructed him in God's ways. And at the right time and in the right way, he was raised up to serve God. In the same house was another young man. His name was Ramses. And Ramses was taught that he was the most important person on the planet. And some uh, scholars of Egyptian history believe that by the end of his life, Ramses actually considered himself now one of the gods of Egypt. Two different paths, two different educations and indoctrinations for those children. Then I considered about 1,200 years later, there's another house. And a young boy named Jesus is raised. And he's indoctrinated in the ways of God. Circumcised on the eighth day, when he's 12 years old, he's brought to the temple. But a few years before him, in a place far south of Galilee, in a desert area called Idumea, another man is raised. He's not raised in the ways of God, though he is familiar with the Jews. He's raised in such a way that he, a man named Herod, will kill his own wife, murder his own son, and then when he's pushed enough and threatened, will start slaughtering innocent children two years old and under in a place outside Jerusalem called Bethlehem. Two people raised about the same time but in different ways. Fast forward 17 centuries and you get to the founder of our own denomination, John Wesley. Raised in the, in the Anglican church, his father was an Anglican priest, but his mother Susanna, daughter of Puritans, was probably the key uh, leader in, in his religious training. And she took him to her side and raised him in such a way that knowing and doing God's bidding was the most important thing to John in his life. And he grew up and he started a, a religious movement that within 30 years, this is amazing, by 1810 had more than 10 million adherents worldwide. What he had done had actually taken over much of the religious world. He and his followers had helped establish an education system for children and had helped abolish slavery in England. And yet at the same time as John Wesley, there are other children in other houses who were raised in such a way that they will co-rupt to run factories where children work six and seven days a week for little or no money. 
And others are raised in different houses who will import slaves from other countries to work for them. Raised at the same time, but different ways. And finally, a couple of centuries later, in our own country, raised to know the ways of God and the passion of serving a God of truth and mercy and justice, Martin Luther King grows up to lead a movement. But at the same time, in houses probably not too many miles away, are other young boys who are raised a different way who will grow up and at nighttime put on white sheets and go and make a mockery of the symbols of our faith, setting them on fire and marching around with them. Raised at the same time, but raised a completely different way. The story I'm telling you about our church is really the world's story, and it's not a bedtime story, because it has pretty serious consequences. And sometimes when I think about what risk in the world, it makes it hard for me to go to sleep at night. But at other times, when I think of the children from here to Guyana, to Africa, to New Orleans, to Mexico, to Austin Highway, who have been influenced by our church, and when I think about the people who have gone before me, who have been named before you, I know that there is still hope. And I know that even though the risks are great, The rewards are greater.